You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Isn't it weird, Lars, that last night Alabama played basketball and it is 81 degrees today? I mean, that's just nuts. I don't remember it being like this, but then my memory's not that good and perhaps it hasn't happened a lot. But anyway, we do need rain, though. Pray for rain. It's As you just heard in the news, top of the hour, we're having wildfires in Alabama. This is not California. It's uh, it's a dire situation. But anyway, let's talk some sports, Lars. What's up in your world today? Well, I'm just uh, I've been reviewing uh, what Mark Stoops, the Kentucky head coach, uh, had to say yesterday at his press conference uh, as the walk up to Saturday's home game against Alabama. And uh, as you and I were talking about, Matt, it's going to be the first time since 2013 that. the Crimson Tide traveling to uh, Lexington. It's a big deal in Lexington. I'm, I'm telling you, I, I have some uh, friends there, and uh, this is a very, very anticipated matchup. And uh, as you'd expect, Mark Stoops, who is so widely um, regarded uh, among, uh, I think, uh, coaches and, and media, I've really never heard anybody say anything bad about Mark Stoops. Um, it, it, during his press conference on Monday, he, he spoke of his admiration for Nick Saban. Um, and he said, you know, when, when I think of Nick, the first thing that comes to mind is respect. Just have a, a ton of, of respect. He's been successful for so long and it, he has his methods. It works. And he said, you know, my brother, uh, Mike, worked for him for two years and he has nothing but respect for him. And, um, and so, yeah, uh, it, it, and it's interesting, you know, Nick Saban has 293 career wins and 202 of those have come into Alabama, but only three have come over the Kentucky Wildcats. <laughs> uh, and, but they have come those three victories by an average margin of victory of 43 points, uh, combined final score of 145 to 16. However, I think this game is going to be a little bit closer than that. What is the latest line? Did I see ten and a half? Y- yeah, something some, like that. Somewhere in that vicinity, yes. Yeah. And, I think there's uh, a good chance that will uh, Alabama will cover that. But <clears throat> you never know. But you were telling me on the way over here, we're talking about Matt Jones, a radio guy, and how immersed he is in Kentucky, everything. But um, and what you just said, how big this is in Lexington. Honestly, Lars, I didn't really stop and think about it. Yeah. But, you know, then again, it's big any time Alabama goes anywhere, isn't it? It is. It is. And it's, uh, you know, it's just a scheduling kind of rarity. Uh, a, a, I don't know, scheduling glitch or whatever. But uh, the fact that Alabama has not been in Lexington for a decade and um, yesterday at his news conference, uh, Coach Saban was asked about the uh, the bluegrass miracle. And uh, yeah. Justin, I'm, I'm I don't know if you can pull that up, uh, but um, and you remember what that was, right? That was uh, when um, 
that was that uh, miraculous Hail Mary touchdown catch uh, in 2002 that saved uh, the the LSU Tigers that Nick Saban was coaching um, uh, to give them a 33-30 victory in Commonwealth Stadium. Let's hear what Nick Saban had to say about that this yesterday during his press conference. Uh, what do you remember about the 2002 game when you were at LSU at Kentucky with the Hail Mary? Uh, look, I remember we didn't play very well. Um, I remember they poured Gatorade on the coach already. Uh, I remember there was about a 30 mile an hour wind, um, that we had at our back. Uh, and the guy threw the ball and it just kept going and going and going. And their guys misjudged the ball and tipped it. And, uh, Devery Henderson caught it and ran for a touchdown. So, um, that's basically what I remember. And everybody remembers it because it was played over and over and over and over and over again. <clears throat> but it's interesting that he remembers the other coach getting Gatorade dumped on him. I yeah. thought that's funny. And another thing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of change directions here real quick on Nick Saban. If he'd been asked that question eight years ago, what would he have said? That's not important? Yeah, absolutely. And when the question was asked, and it's a good question, it's a fair question, but we're talking about 21 years ago. Right. I was expecting Nick Saban to say, are you kidding me? That was two decades ago. I don't know. I can't remember what I did 10 hours ago. I certainly can't. Wasn't there Uh, a brief pause there? Yeah, there was. I I was anticipating him to unload. Yes. Yeah, or just saying, are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, I just said, you know, I'm not interested in going back and revisiting history. But instead, he gave a pretty thoughtful answer and just did a da-da, 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 da-da of facts. And what he remembers. And it's uh, it's like he was seeing pictures in his mind of everything of that day. And I don't remember that it was windy. I don't either. <laughs> I have no recollection of it being windy. But he obviously did because 30 the pad- and, and not only that, he said it was 30 mile an hour wind. Like, he yeah. knew exactly. <laughs> well, you know how he is about the weather. Yes. And the last person he talks to before he goes James on the field Spann. is James Spann. So he's, he's a, a weather guy for obvious reasons, but. I thought it was interesting. But, you know, he's, he, he's obviously he's obsessed with the weather channel. He watches that channel more than any other. You know, there's one guy that is the most ever as far as obsession with the weather channel. And he works in NASCAR. You know who it is? I don't know. You'll know. Uh, it's Larry McReynolds. Oh, really? Larry McReynolds used to watch the weather, and he would tape the weather channel. Wow. I mean, that's how obsessed he was. But he wanted to know every single humidity, do, drop, do, whatever, because he set up his cars accordingly. And by the way, he's from Inslee, Alabama, and he won a lot of races. So back to the Nick Saban thing, I think this is another really good example of, of how, and I don't want to use the word soften because that, that, that has a negative connotation to me, but it, it's, it's this, this kind of a new Nick Saban. And more so this year than the previous 15. Yeah. And, um, yeah, just the the fact that he took the time to really think about it. I mean, it's like, 
you can almost see him, like I said, like going through the grainy film of memory and then replaying the film in his head of that day. I mean, can you remember anything from 2002? Uh, I I remember that game. (laughs) Does that count? Gosh. Justin. 21 years uh, ago. You weren't even here yet. Were you in the womb? Oh, you were two. You were two? Yeah. So what were you doing? Hanging out in the crib? (laughs) Ha ha. Uh, Yeah, I was was just reading books and going for runs and walking and stuff. (laughs) What is your earliest memory? So I was actually born in Augusta, Georgia, and... um, I feel like my earliest memories, I remember playing in the front yard of my house there. And I think that was three or four. So Three or four. Okay. You know, that's an excellent question. Maybe one we ought to dive into. Because I don't know yours. And I don't think you know mine. But uh, it's a fun topic. Maybe we'll hit it towards the end of the show. Yeah, I like it. Um, now, Alabama did play basketball as we started the show. Oh, with. boy, did they play basketball. Holy cow. And not Grant Nelson. This team, their writers around the country were just saying, oh, didn't see that coming from Alabama. One game. I got two words for you. One game. Nate Oates. Wow. Does anybody know how use a transfer portal be better a, than Nate This is going to be a fun team to watch. Yeah, it is. Hey, Lars. I am, you know this, because I'm, I'm not a stay out of my front yard guy. But I am older. Y'all know that. You poke fun at me. I'm fine with that. It's better than the alternative. But sometimes this new language, even with my own children, I have to say, what does that mean? I got a big time, what does that mean? I meant to ask Christian, because I think he probably would know, but I didn't have a chance to when we were swapping the studio. But, uh. I'm going to ask that question. Justin's probably the only one to answer it. Hey, this is Big Noon Sports, brought to you by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage, who will be here in about an hour. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A warm afternoon, mostly sunny, the high 81. Fair tonight, the low 55. Tomorrow, partly to mostly sunny, the high also 81. Thursday, increasingly cloudy, a chance of showers Thursday night. The high Thursday, 79. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 79 degrees in Tuscaloosa. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. No, I think that um, it's probably a combination of both. Uh, I think as Jalen gets more comfortable, more confident, um, is reading and seeing things so he can actually do a little more uh, and do some different things. Uh, But I also think that, you know, the rest of the guys around him are getting more comfortable and uh, executing better. So all those things contribute to us being able to do a few things that, you know, we can take advantage of. But that's different, you know, every week in terms of what kind of defense are you playing and what do they do and uh, how can you try to take advantage of it. There was no question Alabama had wrinkles, new wrinkles. And Tommy Reese is the the man that instituted this. In fact, Brian Kelly said he transformed Alabama's offense midseason. 
I, I saw a vast difference in the way, and, and particularly with, as Nick Saban was just talking about, Jalen Milroe. But what I found interesting, and this is an article that you can find on AL.com. Nick Alvarez wrote it, but he's writing about the changes, what Brian Kelly had to say, and also, and I didn't notice this, that Jalen had a different look. Evidently, he was wearing sleeves or something on both arms. He hadn't done that all year or something like that. But here's what he said when asked about it. It was hard because I said one of these games, I'm going to bring the dual sleeves out and decided it'd be that week. Milrow. There's a quote. Brought it back to high school I used to change my drip up. Does that make any sense to you? I used to change my drip up. I think what, Lars, what does that mean? You don't got it? I'm assuming it's it has something to do with attire. I don't you know. You know what? I kid you not. My eight-year-old son, Lincoln, used that phrase on Saturday. And I had no idea what he was talking about. So, Do you now? Is he yeah. wearing a different uniform I, or something? It, well, or? I, I don't want to embarrass myself, so I'm going to defer to Justin. I'm no expert. Is it something I shouldn't be talking about? No, 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 no. Because no, I, 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 I could, I could sometimes, be wildly sometimes off. it. No, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing like his, uh, his, his demeanor, his uh, swag, his. Uh, there you go. It's, okay. it's almost interchangeable with with swag. It's yeah. his drip. It's like if you're wearing uh, some cool clothes, you know, the the sleeves are are pretty cool. That's your drip. Or like if, yeah, it's weird to say, but it's it's, yeah. it's how you dress and, and how you're perceived as cool. If you got drip. Yeah. So I, like Lincoln, uh, when we were playing in the golf tournament on uh, Saturday, um, he, he, he played well, but not as, as good as he had the previous week. And he told me that I needed to wear what I wore the week before so he could get his drip back. And I was like. Really? That actually explains an eight year old pretty well. I don't know. <laughs> My children are all out of the nest and <clears throat> they say things and I go, Okay, explain it to me. From from the, the forefront on on slang words, Urban Dictionary has okay. the definition of drip as very swag and cool. There's drip, drippy, dripping can be used to describe an outfit slash accessory person song etc well it just does that word i would never associate with swag and proper attire would you in fact i, I, I would think I, I it's wonder a negative what the, uh, thing. The, i wonder what the origin of the phrase is um i think it's like like you're you're the, the other word like cold like that's cold i guess that's a little bit older Maybe, maybe. Cold means, means like, kind of like, like we're cold right now yeah. in this freezing uh, studio. Not, not the temperature. <laughs> Sorry, just cold in your demeanor. Yeah, like that's cold. Oh no, 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 really? different. Uh -uh. Cold isn't is just like the same thing. It's cool, but maybe really? it's like you're you're dressed so so cool, or you're not. You look so good, like you're hot that you're dripping. Maybe. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm just figuring out what chill means. Just kidding. I actually do know what that is. But uh, what was the game know, show where you could ask, like, origin of word, please? Uh, uh, oh, uh, it was a, 
like spelling bees. Yeah, spelling bee. Oh, sorry. Yeah, National Spelling Bee. Gotcha. That's um, a horrible question to ask. Okay, but speaking of getting your drip back. We're going to use we, that phrase yes, for the rest yeah. of the show. Yes, we Not are. Not just this show, for the rest of the show's <laughs> history. All right. So you and I, we had a little bit of a contentious conversation yesterday about Heisman Trophy talk. Yeah, no, I just wanted to make a point. I know. No, it wasn't contentious. You and I are, look, we're, we're basically we're the, clo- the closest of friends. Yeah. Yes, we're brothers. And so, um, yeah, it was just whatever. So Pat Forty, who I, um, I greatly I admire, and he's such a nice guy. And um, I know some Alabama fans are not big Pat Forty fans, uh, but okay, Pat Forty, Gary Danielson, which one? <laughs> I mean, Pat. Uh, he was just—he's been so good to me over the years. I, I was completely lost when, uh, gosh, just when we—it turned out we were on the same flight going down to Rio for the Olympics in 2016. I had no idea like how to how to find the uh, buses or anything. Completely lost. And Forty saw me. <laughs> he's just like, and he's a veteran of like you know 20 Olympic games. He's like. Come with me, Lord. <laughs> Otherwise, and, uh, you're no, not yeah, come no, back alive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we so, were on a bus too. That like, one, we heard gunshots, and two, there may or may not have been a gunshot, a, gun, a bullet that hit our bus as we're going through a really wow. rough part of Rio. The Rio that I experienced was not the Rio that everyone saw on television. Well, you but know, that is a whole other story. It's just a, a romantic getaway. Yeah. No. Wonderful no, 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 beaches. No, 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 no. Okay. Not going back What's to Rio. What's 40 anytime. saying about the Okay, so, okay. So, 40, he, uh, Pat does his sort of, uh, weekly Heisman update and, you know, who the, uh, contenders are. And it's very clear that Caleb Williams is not going to repeat as a Heisman Trophy winner. Um, only Archie Griffin has done that, and it's been about 50 years. But now that USC has lost three of their last four, uh, he's uh, he, he's out of the picture. So who's number one? Well, it's your guy, uh, Michael Penix Jr. And he just, uh, it, you know, he's Washington is undefeated. They just beat USC, leads the nation in passing yards per game, uh, 355. He's averaging 355 That's, a game. I yeah. had to go back and read that to make sure I saw average in there. And, and the thing is, this, uh, if you look at their schedule, they have three pretty difficult games ahead in the Pac-12. They go against Utah, which has the number one pass defense in the country. And, uh, and then they play Oregon State and Washington State. But if Washington wins out, there's no doubt in my mind that, um, that he will win the Heisman Trophy. Um, who's the last Heisman Trophy winner from Washington, by the way? Oh, can you give me a minute on that one? It's a guy called Never Ever. Uh, <laughs> no, never. they've never had one, so. Oh. <laughs> sitting here scouring my brain. Trying to yeah. uh, so, in number two, he has Bo Nix. Uh, this is just still, it's unbelievable. His completion percentage 
78%. And that is on pace to break Mac Jones's FBS record of 774 Of all the quarterbacks who have thrown 300 passes, he has the fewest interceptions. Two. Two. He's completing 78% of his passes. He's thrown more than 300, and he's only thrown two picks. Do you think Bo is aware that he could break a record held by an Alabama quarterback? I very much so. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I'm pulling for Bo, uh, but we'll, we'll see. Um, they will, I think he wins it if they go ahead and run the table. Uh, they play, uh, USC, which as we know has a terrible defense, uh, Arizona State, which, uh, has a recent history of success against Oregon. And then they finish the regular season with Oregon State in the Civil War, which is always a, uh, a tough matchup. Uh, but if they go on and beat Washington in the Big 12 championship game, yeah. I, I think Bo Nix wins it. And then J.J. McCarthy, quarterback at Michigan, he's third in, in Pat Forty's list. Four is Jaden Daniels. Five, Ollie Gordon, the third, a running back from Oklahoma State. Six, Jordan Travis, quarterback at Florida State. Seven, Marvin Harrison, Jr., who's just fabulous at Ohio State. Eight, Jackson Dart. Nine, Drake May. Ten. You got to be kidding. Jalen Bill Rowe. Boy, that Saturday did a lot for him. Well, because so, I have to. I have to. Back, my, my, I have I, to I'm backpedal just, a little I just, bit. Uh, I'm just saying. Like, it's, it's not just me. It's others that. I'm. Saturday just did something amazing for him. And it just it completely changed over the course well, of three and a half hours how everybody perceives him. I think it's really easy to understand why. And it's warranted. It's fair. It changed his drip. Changed his drip. That's, Good way to circle around. That's what that, I do, Lars. No, that, and that's how you write really good stories. You circle back to the lead yep. at the ending, the well, kicker. Can, occasionally, you can actually do it in broadcast. It's all because of his drip. Yeah. It's still such a strange thing to say. To me, the words don't work. In fact, they're more opposite than they are a description. That's okay. I got to change my drip, too. All right. Let's talk some basketball. I want to know about Grant Nelson. You talked about Thunderdunk. Yeah. Rex Chapman-esque. Man. I love watching Chapman play. I think Alabama fans are going to love watching this team, period. We'll talk about it with Brian Passink who's a color analyst on the Crimson Tide Sports Network. That's coming up on our show, which is presented by Haley Sansing Union Home Mortgage. I know, two days, three days. Down to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. It is Big Noon Sports. Matt, Lars, Justin Jones, and now being joined by Brian Passink, who you listened to last night on the Crimson Tide Sports Network. He is a color analyst along with Chris Stewart, play-by-play, and the one and only Tom Stipe. Brian, 
How are you? What did you see last night that you loved? There was a lot that I loved last night. It was, first of all, it's great to be back in Coleman Coliseum and always love a doubleheader in Christy Curry, Sarah Ashley, Ashley Barker, uh, look dominant in the opening game. Um, you know, it looks like they're going to, it looks like a NCAA tournament team to me. And then uh, the, the men in, in the nightcap uh, was a lot of fun. Grant Nelson is good or better than advertised. Darren Estrada to go along uh, with the three returning keys and key pieces and Nick Pringle, Mark Sears, uh, Rylan Griffin, and top 10 recruiting class, top five portal class. It was just a great night. And it's always great to be back in Coleman Coliseum. The start of basketball season is always, always exciting. But for both the men and the women to look so good on opening night was a lot of fun. Definitely want to get to uh, how the women looked. But uh, the the buzz last night and continuing into this morning, this afternoon, Grant Nelson scored 24 points and <laughs> had a pretty amazing dunk. Uh, just overall your impression of, of grant nelson he's one of the most exciting players in college basketball i mean he might be the most exciting player in college basketball and first of all i'm, I'm thankful that not only is he in tuscaloosa but a lot of people thought he could have gone to the nba put his name in the draft probably would have been maybe a second round pick um could have gone anywhere in the country and decides to come play for nate oates to continue to develop, um, looking like a first rounder, in my opinion. And Nate Oates has said publicly that if Grant Nelson uh, doesn't develop into a first rounder, then uh, the coaching staff has not done their job. And so far, so good. Uh, he is a player that can do so many things at 6'11, can put it on the floor, has quickness and explosiveness, uh, guard skills at his size can shoot it. He's been an up-and-down shooter in his time at North Dakota State. Um, but that's a big reason he came to Tuscaloosa with um, the freedom to shoot the three, time in the gym, working on his shot. He was about a 29%, 30% three-point shooter at North Dakota State. If he could get that up around 40%, uh, he could be looking at a, a, a nice, long career in the NBA. And so far, so good. I know he's put the time and effort in. Uh, and he looked good in all facets last night. And I think uh, the Coleman Coliseum crowd really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I think he enjoyed the Coleman Coliseum crowd as well, based on his comments after the game. Brian, how do you explain someone who, uh, again, begins his career at North Dakota State and now has developed so rapidly. What has been the key to his development? I mean, obviously a lot of hard work has gone into this. Is it just the case where some players uh, uh, like Nelson are somewhat of late bloomers? Yeah, I mean, you look around at the mid-major level, and there's great players. I mean, you look in the NBA, and there's a lot of mid-major players that um, maybe weren't highly recruited by the big schools and they end up working hard and, and developing into great players. And I think we'll talk about Grant Nelson in that way. Um, but I'm so thankful that he's spending at least his last year in Tuscaloosa, but he's six eleven, He's long. He's athletic. Um, I know he, he grew a lot in high school. So he started off as a guard and he's got great handles, explosiveness and his mindset 
is aggressive. He's in attack mode. He gets, you know, he, he's trying to get defensive rebounds and push it in transition. He pushes it like a point guard, uh, and he is looking to finish at the rim. Um, but he takes what the defense gives him. And I thought that was one of the things that I liked about him and this Alabama team last night is, yes, they're in attack mode. They're trying to get downhill to the rim. But if you uh, play them for the drive, there's no hesitation from the three-point line. And I think that's the confidence that Nate Oates and his staff instills is if you don't uh, rise up and, and take an open three, then you're going to come out. And I think uh, that mindset gives you confidence as an offensive basketball player. And Alabama looked really good on that end of the floor to score 105 points against a quality opponent in Moorhead State. This is a Moorhead State team that won the OVC last year by a couple of games. They've got a lot of those guys back, some pretty good transfers as well. And they're going to win a bunch of games. Uh, last night was a game that Alabama is a top 25 team as the, the defending SEC champions should win. Um, but that'll end up looking like a good, a good win, uh, because I expect them, even though they've had some, some injuries here in the preseason, I still expect them to go win the Ohio, Ohio Valley Conference. Uh, so last night was a great night and uh, the guys that we were excited to see did not disappoint. Brian Passing, Crimson Tide Sports Network Basketball is our guest here on Big Noon Sports. Talk about some of the other fresh faces that you saw on the floor at Coleman Coliseum. Aaron Estrada, I guess, had 16. Just take it from there. Yeah, you, Grant Nelson gets a lot of the headlines, but uh, Aaron Estrada was also one of those players that could have gone anywhere he wanted in the country. The two-time Colonial Athletic Association Player of the Year Average right at 20 points a game at Hofstra. Uh, and you knew he could do it at the high major level. And, you know, I think um, you get a player like maybe like Grant Nelson because of the development of guys like Brandon Miller, who wasn't expected to be the number two pick in the draft and to see the freedom that he plays with. Now, they're different players, but uh, that success of guys ahead of you kind of paves the way and, and allows the coaching staff to show what they've done from a player development standpoint. And I think maybe a guy like Mark Sears um, got the attention of Aaron Estrada because Mark, a lot like Aaron, uh, was so good at my, Miami of Ohio and produced um, as one of the better mid-major point guards in the country. And would that translate to high major basketball in the SEC and a championship caliber team? Mark Sears comes to Alabama Second team All-SEC in his first season. He looked really good last night. And Aaron Estrada in his first game in crimson and white looked like he's been there uh, for a number of years. Looked really comfortable in, in this uh, NATO's offense. And he, he's fun to watch as well. One of the top, I think he'll be one of the better guards in the Southeastern Conference. And all the new guys look really comfortable, especially on the offensive end. Well, go ahead. You mentioned Mark Sears. I wonder how the the veterans are meshing into these the, to all the freshmen and then mostly the transfer portal players. Yeah, this team lost seventy five percent of its production uh, from a year ago. But one of the key pieces is Mark Sears, and I, I just thought he he looked confident, steady, like the veteran that he is, and. Uh, he has taken on, uh, from what I've seen in practice and just listening to his comments, more of a leadership role. Uh, and, and he's playing like it. And 
Uh, that's so important when you bring a team together that's a, essentially a brand new team uh, with the exception of just a handful of players. You're trying to mesh in some uh, young players, top 10 recruiting class, some older veterans, but they've not played in Tuscaloosa with the, the transfer class. And then uh, guys like Mark Sears and Nick Pringle and Rylan Griffin. But Mark, by all accounts, has is, is done a great job on and off the court, and I thought he looked really good last night. What uh, what are your thoughts of uh, just seeing Brandon Miller in in the crowd last night and coming back and, and supporting Alabama? I think it says so much about this program. Brandon Miller um, comes to Tuscaloosa, uh, turns himself in along you know with with the the focus on player development. Turns himself and the coaching staff helps him obviously turn into one of the best players in Alabama basketball history, and the fact that. He played the Dallas Mavericks the night before, flies into Tuscaloosa, wanted to be there for opening night um, for this program. Just, I, I just think it's really, really cool. And he didn't have to do it, and most guys that are playing in the NBA don't do that. But it just shows, to me, his appreciation uh, for Alabama, uh, NATO's and his staff, and and um, how much it meant to him. And, and listen, as an Alabama guys a, a former player someone who loves this program uh to see brandon miller sitting there on opening night meant a lot to me and uh i thought it was really cool and, and i appreciated it uh from him that's for sure brian i know we were late getting in touch with you today but i'm gonna ask you another favor are, are you working can you hang on for another uh few minutes because i want to talk about sarah ashley barker yeah yeah i got a few minutes okay Absolutely. Good, good we won't keep awesome. you just half a segment or so thank you brian we will be back with more passing as you listen to Big Noon Sports. On the next Inside the Locker Room with Coach Wimp Sanderson and Barry Sanderson. Tune in Wednesday, 7.30. Tom Hart will join us. 8.15, we'll have... Bill Cameron with the Auburn Report. We also look at the uh, college football committee rankings and see where Alabama landed uh, this week and discuss it. Inside the locker room, weekdays 7 to 9 a.m. on Tide 100.9 and Tide100.9.com. 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather. A warm afternoon, mostly sunny, the high 81. Fair tonight, below 55. Tomorrow, partly to mostly sunny, the high also 81. Thursday, increasingly cloudy, a chance of showers Thursday night, the high Thursday, 79. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 80 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. It is indeed. Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, Justin Jones. And our guest is Brian Passing. Hey, Brian, you mentioned the Alabama women's basketball team, and they just absolutely uh, almost tripled up Alabama State. The, the score was just... Things started. <laughs> Excuse me. I understand they played great defense. I know it's impressive to win by that much, but they also played great defense, and Sarah Ashley Barker had 23. Yeah, career high uh, for Sarah Ashley, and I, I think uh, the way she's playing right now and, and her development 
as a college basketball player, uh, that career high may not stand for too long. Uh, she does so many different things, and I've been a big Sarah Ashley fan since she was in high school at Spain Park, and uh, she's just gotten better and better. And she she looks good shooting the ball. We, we've known that she can take the ball in the basket. She she's so unselfish. Great passer. Great vision. Defender, rebounder. Uh, I think she's going to be one of the top players in the SEC this year. And uh, Christy Curry has gone out and uh, assembled a really nice roster with uh, some returning players like Sarah Ashley and um, you know one of the, the the top recruits in program history. Um, and Essence Cody and and then some transfers. So I think this is a, a really good roster. And another doubleheader Friday night. And you know, you're not able to, to do too many doubleheaders over the course of the season, the way the schedule unfolds and with TV. And But when you have the opportunity to do it, um, I'm glad that, that Nate Oates and Christy Curry have come together and start off the season with a couple doubleheaders. So fans will have a chance to watch the women um, and, and then the men on Friday night. And should be a great night of basketball. It certainly was last night, and hopefully uh, we can replicate it on Friday night at Colvin. Brian, you know so much about uh, college basketball and the history of the sport. Uh, we lost Bob Knight late last week. Uh, just your thoughts on uh, his legacy and and uh, just what really sticks out to you about uh, the, the late Bobby Knight? Well, one of the greatest coaches in the history of the game, um, one of the most influential. Um, I know my high school coach one thought he was Bobby Knight, um, which meant he, he, he yelled and screamed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Prepared me uh, for uh, one of Bobby Knight's buddies who I got to play for in Wimps Anderson. Uh, so he was he was a terrific coach. Uh, obviously a controversial figure with some of the things that happened, um, but he, he was one of a kind. Uh, that's for sure. And I, I, I love the way his teams played. I love the toughness. Um, won a lot of games, multiple national championships, final fours. And, uh, you know, went to, to Texas Tech after he left Indiana. And Texas Tech historically, um, you know, not one of your top power conference programs and took them to the NCAA tournament multiple years in a Sweet 16. Um, but uh, sad, a sad loss uh, for the college basketball community and one of the all-time greats in Bobby Knight. Yeah, and uh, yeah, no, that was a, that definitely was a, a, a tough one. Do you think how he's going to be remembered is fair? Uh, because th- th- some of his aggressive behavior toward players uh, almost overshadows the other stuff, which is uh, amazing, you know, leading, uh, the last, uh, undefeated team in college basketball, right, uh, in 1976. Um, the, the fact that if you played for Bobby Knight and you made it through and graduated and most likely you were going to graduate, his graduation rates were off the charts high. He was going to have your back for the rest of his career and he was going to do everything in his, in his power to help you. Is that going to be overshadowed again by the other stuff, the the throwing of the chair and 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 you know being fired from Indiana? Just ultimately, what what do you think is going to be his legacy? Well, first of all, I wouldn't be a good 
um, Alabama basketball analyst if I didn't point out that that 76 team uh, should not have been undefeated. Thank uh, you very much. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, they were, and it was a historic team. That well, hold, hold on. Go into, old, can you go long. into detail of that for uh, for those of us not from the state of I Alabama? I just told you about how we watched it at the I, fraternity I defer to, to Brian I would, too. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I may <laughs> defer to the old guy, the, the oldest. I shouldn't say old. <laughs> wow. The there we go. The Message for you, sir. <laughs> Uh, you just I was only me. like three when, but I mean, listen, Alabama '76 and in, in Baton Rouge in the Sweet 16, uh, there was a, a controversial block charge call uh, that was a terrible call that went against the Crimson Tide and kind of turned the tide of the game late in that one. In Indiana, very fortunate to not bow out in the Sweet 16 uh, to one of the best teams in Alabama basketball history. Matt, what was your recollection of that game? Horrible call. Night, you know, you'd like to think that uh, officials can't be intimidated, but they can. And Knight used that. He used it well. But I was looking at the starting five of that Alabama basketball team. I just went, wow, wow. And after that game, Knight stepped to the mic and said, that's the best team we've played all year. And he said, and we were lucky to win this thing. And he's right. They were. And Alabama was yeah. really, really good. But, uh, Brian? Yeah, you know, we, we, you know, we talk about the one best team in school history, that 76 team in the conversation. I think last year's team in the conversation as well. But last thing on Bob, or my take on Bobby Knight, uh, all of it. I mean, the winning, the controversy, the, the throwing of the chair. Um, he, he was a, one of the greatest coaches of all time and one of the most interesting sports figures of all time. So I think it'll be all of it. I think that some of the controversy will fall away. The larger incidents will not. But in his passing, we have heard more and more stories about how compassionate this man was, really, and how he cared for his players and how he took care of them. And he literally fathered many of them. So I think that that will probably come to the surface more so I mean, it's, who's going to forget slinging a chair onto a basketball court? Yeah. <laughs> and and by the way, I mean, you, this may shock you, and I say that sarcastically. Um, I didn't read a lot as a kid, but the first book I ever read, Season on the Brink. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. I should, I should say the first book that I wasn't forced to read. I, I did occasionally read a book in school where they made me at gunpoint, but uh, that was the first book I ever read on my own where I didn't have to. You know um, what, Brian? It's an incredible that, book. That, that book changed the course of my entire professional life. That's when I realized I want to be a writer. Because uh, John Feinstein, he embedded with the team and the insight and, uh, and, and Bobby Knight completely regretted doing that, okay? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but that book, uh, it, it, it stands the test of time. And not only that, it created a whole new genre of, uh, of embedding with a team and doing a season. And it's such a perfect title, a season on the brink. Um, Brian, what was your, I, I'm really curious about this because this is right in my wheelhouse here, but what, uh, what was it about that book that really fired your imagination? Well, just the, uh, I mean, first of all, 
huge um, John Feinstein fan. And, you know, after that, I read so many of his books. Um, but it just took you inside the locker room, inside the the, the, the mind and, and kind of the, the heartbeat of a major college basketball program. And um, it just, it, for me, and, it, and that's, that's a really interesting story from your standpoint, um, what it meant to you. Like for me, it just made, it helped me kind of imagine myself as a college basketball player. What would it be like if I was playing in front of 15,000 people and, and a call didn't go my way and my coach is yelling at me and I missed the big shot. You know, that, it just, you felt like you were in the locker room. Yeah. And, it, and, and I would encourage, if, for those that have never read that book, um, read it. You, no. You'll enjoy it. It's an incredible read about a legendary figure in a legendary year, and uh, just w- one of one of my favorite books of all time for sure. But that's that's an interesting story of what it meant to you from a writing standpoint. Yeah, and it, it has stood the test of time. It is uh, an absolutely amazing book. Amazing book. Yeah, I, I like you. I encourage everybody to go out and read Season on the Brink. Hey, Brian. Thanks for your time. Always enjoy it, guys. Yeah, appreciate thanks it, Brian. Brian Passink, who is a member of the Crimson Tide Sports Network. We have tons of things to talk about. We've barely scratched the surface here. We'll bring those up on the other side of this break as you listen to Big Noon Sports. If you WTBC Tuscaloosa and W265CG Tuscaloosa, a town square media station, Tide 100.9, and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. From the Fox Sports Studios in Los Angeles. Here's Monty Bolaños. Viking star wide receiver Justin Jefferson, who is currently on injured reserve with a hamstring injury, but is eligible to have his 21-day practice window opened, is unlikely to play this Sunday against the New Orleans Saints. This is according to the NFL Network. The Athletic is reporting that Detroit Lions running back David Montgomery has returned to practice after being sidelined with a rib injury since week seven and looks to return for their week 10 matchup against Against the Chargers. The LA Rams are optimistic that quarterback Matthew Stafford, who injured his thumb in the team's week eight loss to the Cowboys, will return after their week 10 bye. According to Pro Football Talk, after the Chargers beat the Jets on Monday Night Football, ESPN microphones captured Chargers defensive back Derwin James asking Aaron Rodgers when he was coming back, and he responded with, quote, give me a few weeks. More big noon sports coming up. Hey, welcome back. Hour number two here on Big Noon Sports with Lars and Matt and Justin. Big news, as Justin brought up just a little while ago, yesterday afternoon, concerning Michigan and the sign-stealing incident. Well, it looks to me like the Big Ten is going to take action before the season's end. But... It will not be, according to this source, it will not be team-related. It will be Harbaugh-related. Is that what you were led to believe in this this particular story indicates that anyway? Yeah, it's possible. Um, we're just going to have to see. Uh, 
the the NCA has told uh, Michigan that um, that uh, and this is what sources are saying um, that uh, and this is also the Big Ten that the conference is continuing to consider a multi-game suspension of Jim Harbaugh as Michigan is gearing up for legal actions to put an injunction on Everybody's all of Everybody's predicting what they're going to do. Yeah. But nothing's happened yeah. yet. Um, yeah. So Michigan, they're 9-0, and number three in the college football playoff rankings. They play Penn State on Saturday uh, for a top 10 meeting that uh, by far is going to be Michigan's toughest test of the year so far. Um, uh, the Michigan athletic director, Ward Manuel, he is uh, skipping out on his duties with the college football playoff committee this week so he can focus on the school's response to the investigation. And it, this is just a... It's it, a it hot is just mess. A, it is a mess. Um, to, just to review. All right. So Michigan, it's a sign-stealing scheme. And it seems to be a very elaborate, uh, elaborate multi-year endeavor to scout and record opponents' play calls. And at the center of this is a former low-level analyst named Connor Stallions, who we've talked about a lot. And he did not cooperate with NCAA investigators last week. And he was dismissed, according to various sources. Uh, the school announced Friday that he resigned, but uh, everything I'm hearing is that he was fired. Um, and so he is believed to have used as many as 65 associates to scout games. And while sign stealing in and of itself is not against NCAA rules, scouting a future opponent's game is, as well as using recording devices to document the signals. So, uh, late last week, I think it was on Thursday, all the athletic directors of the Big Ten, uh, held a conference call with the Big Ten commissioner and the level of outrage, I think, shocked the Big Ten commissioner, Petit, or Petiti. And, um, and look, they've only been in investigating this for three weeks, but they're treating this investigation differently. Uh, and they're accelerating it as much as they possibly can because there is evidence that this was going on as recently as about four weeks ago. Right. So uh, last uh, on Friday, Petiti, the Big Ten commissioner, uh, it's believed that he proposed a multi-game suspension for Harbaugh, um, something that that the school officials, including the Michigan president, pushed back against. And now we'll see. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Michigan ultimately is not allowed to play in the Big Ten championship game. Really? Which effectively would eliminate them from the college football playoffs. Would it? Yes. So if they didn't, they'd still be undefeated. Well, everybody in the Big Ten is hoping and praying that Penn State beats them this weekend. So you don't have to worry about this nonsense anymore. It is so clear to me 
and to everyone with a brain that Jim Harbaugh knew what was going on. Well, not according to him. <laughs> you know, but the, he's still I, responsible whether he knew about it or not. I mean, it's his team. Exactly, yeah. Matt. I, I heard a take this morning where it was, we're talking about the law. It's not the law. This isn't the United States government. This is the Big Ten as a conference. Right. And the, the laws of the Big Ten say that Harbaugh is responsible because it's his team, whether or not he knew, like you just said. And so if the Big Ten rules, it's supposed to be cut and dry, right? But meanwhile, Michigan's preparing this huge legal team for what would appear to be nothing. Because according to the rules, they're a member institution of the Big Ten. They agreed to this, but they're going to sue anyway. I mean, what is SEC weird. Commissioner Greg Sankey. Now this is good. He was asked about what's going on and, and uh, what he thinks about the situation facing the Big Ten Commissioner Petiti. <laughs> and Craig said, quote, I don't wish that on anyone. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> Craig Sankey that can empathize. A lot. Because, yeah. he, because Greg, I guarantee you, he knows what should happen. But what should happen isn't necessarily what is in the best interest of the conference. So, therefore, you are being pulled in two different directions. There is the moral, the right thing to do, and there is the monetary right thing to do. Financial reasons to not absolutely destroy Michigan's season. I mean, there's some people that think that they should get the death penalty. Oh, that's a little extreme. Although, what, well, Matt, boy, what, what is, if you're, what if you were a coach? And again, I haven't researched this. I need to. What if you were a coach that got fired because you got beat by sixty? That's a by great Michigan? question. That's a great question. My my first answer to that is the sign stealing. Really, not that big of an advantage if you get beat sixty to nothing. Okay, it's just uh, Matt Rule uh, doesn't clever. Hey, Matt uh, Rule, he mentioned it yesterday. Well, you know, if teams lost games this year because of that, or they can prove, and I think they can, this occurred in 2023, then I think the penalty should be in 2023. And so here's what. By the way, one other thing I yep. wanted to mention because Justin brought it up. Uh, we all were talking about it about Harbaugh being suspended, or, or you know whatever they do to him, it doesn't seem like you're getting the entire deal there. The coordinators knew. There are pictures of him, of them, right? Yeah. They should be suspended as well. Best case scenario, I think Michigan is going to try to suspend them for maybe even this Penn State game and one other. They're going to want them in the Ohio State game, and they're going to want them in the Big Ten because – Ultimately, they don't want to shoot themselves in the foot. They still want to have somebody contend for the playoffs, but we'll have to wait and see. So here's a key question. Can the Big Ten apply this NCAA bylaw, right, which is about um, uh, a, a sportsmanship policy? Can they apply that to suspend Harbaugh sort of immediately? And no question that uh, Michigan has legal avenues available to them. And what they're going to do is uh, if the Big Ten comes down and does that, 
then they suspend him. They're going to seek a temporary restraining order to prevent any suspension from taking effect, arguing that uh, there was no due process and that uh, procedural rules weren't followed. And then, so it'll be a temporary restraining order, which, uh, as my dad always told me, was uh, commonly referred to as a TRO. Um, they can be lifted. A temporary restraining order can be lifted if there is sufficient evidence to lift it by, but it would take a pretty aggressive judge to do that. So this thing's just going to be tied up in court. Sounds like it's time to call Tommy Spina. Let him sort of say, he's yeah. kind of our staff. Yeah, he's our staff. Attorney, uh, <laughs> and uh, does a lot of stuff on air for us. Maybe we ought to call him. I don't know. Anyway, I have a really interesting question concerning Jim Harbaugh on the other side of this break. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A warm afternoon, mostly sunny, the high 81. Fair tonight, the low 55. Tomorrow, partly to mostly sunny, the high also 81. Thursday, increasingly cloudy, a chance of showers Thursday night. The high Thursday, 79. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 80 degrees in Tuscaloosa. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. All right, folks, let's jump on the phones. We can talk about Michigan. We can talk about Alabama basketball. We can talk about the subject I'm going to bring up right now. But in order to be on the show, dial 205-342-9904. 205-342-9904. I was going to ask you guys a question, and of course it hasn't happened, but has there ever been a coach to begin the season suspended and end the season suspended? Because it looks like that's what's going to happen to Jim Harbaugh. And what if they won a national championship anyway? It's How possible. big would the asterisks be? It's possible. It's possible. Um, all right. So tonight, the uh, second version of the college football playoff rankings are going to be released on ESPN and let's go into the uh, college football playoff predictions from Heather Dinich. And uh, according to Heather, who um, is the, uh, I don't know, she's the authority on this, I, I guess. Any ESPN circles, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd rather you write this. I, I wonder how she got that gig. Uh, but I think she does a really good job. I, I do. I think she's uh, well, she's really talented. Wait a minute. You seem a bit puzzled when you asked that question. I wonder <laughs> no, how she got a, that it's gig. It's such a, a, a niche. It's such a small thing to be known as like the expert on college football playoff rankings. It's kind of like this story I read the other day where maybe it was the New York Post hired a writer strictly to write about Taylor Swift. A full-time writer for Taylor Swift. Would really? you want that gig? How well does it pay? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, imagine the travel and the benefits, uh, you know. And if you could, like, get embedded, seems to be the word of the day when we talk about writing, with Taylor Swift, that I think, and I'm not a Taylor Swift fan. 
Still haven't listened to her song yet. Sorry about that, Lars. I promised you I was going to do that a month Can ago. Can we play one song, like, just coming out of this but segment? Play her the biggest hit she's ever had. Let me just see. Okay, yeah, me... coming out of this segment. We'll, we'll do right, that. We'll, we'll do, uh, that. do it here right. in a second. All right, so, uh, no, I, I think Heather does a great job. I, I, I really do. I, well, what I about genuinely you? say Would that. Would you take the gig with, with Taylor Swift with the New York Post? No, not at this point in my career. Oh. I'm, Would you have when I'm you a, were? I'm a, I'm a books guy now. Okay. Um. Hey. Uh. All right. So, uh, Justin, can you give uh, Tim Brando a call? He said he can come on right uh, now. Well, so that'd we're gonna be a perfect place to pick up this subject. Yeah, Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah, that too. Um, so let me just go through it really quick. Heather Dinich, uh, her projection for tonight is uh, Georgia being ranked number one, Ohio State two, Michigan three, Florida State four, Washington five, Oregon six, Texas seven, Alabama eight. So let's do some uh deductive reasoning here um let's say alabama wins out they're still going to need help uh because uh oregon washington will get in uh whoever wins that all right let's go to tim brando timmy thank you for wow. uh joining us on really short notice appreciate how it how about 30 seconds how you, doing? The how you, doing? How you doing tim <laughs> I'm good. I'm back. I'm doing great because I played my first round of golf in the fall at my place because, you know, I've been a little swamped with, with college football. And, and uh, you know, I generally don't get to play very much in the fall, but I used to play more regularly, uh, especially in my studio days. And uh, some of these weeks, Fox has had me work in two games, so it's been almost impossible. But this week I've got USC for a third time against Oregon. And the game is uh, a heck. It's a very important game, obviously, and there's a lot going on with USC. And obviously, Oregon is in the mix for the, for the college football playoffs. So, gotta head up to Austin. But I, um, I got to play around, and uh, our course is gorgeous, just gorgeous this time of year. And uh, I played good, made a couple of birdies, and uh, shot an eighty, shot an eighty-five. Which, when you haven't played in in uh, three months, that's pretty good. So I'm uh, I'm in a great mood. <laughs> well, I called it. I told Lars when he was texting you, I said, man, he's on the golf course. But you must have gotten up <laughs> early and played. Good for you. I did. All right. I did. You mentioned Oregon. I want to start right there. Just talk about Bo Nix. It's just an incredible story from Pinson to Auburn yeah, to Oregon. Yeah. I, I cannot wait uh, to talk to him again. You know, I had him a couple of times uh, last year as well. Uh, but this will be the first time I've had him uh, at home. I've had um, I've had the two games I had with him last year were both on the road, uh, one in Berkeley at Cal and the other one was at Washington State early in the season. They came from well back in that game to win, too, and it was a pretty exciting game. And I don't know that at that time we knew that Bo was going to turn into – you know, a Heisman front runner for a couple of years. And, you know, right now, uh, he's my, uh, you know, I, we're not supposed to say who we're voting for, but I can tell you right now, we have three slots to fill. And at this stage, uh, he'd be at the top of my three slots. Uh, you know, obviously I'm not going to vote until 
the end of the of championship weekend. But it's you know he's had an incredible uh, year and career there. Uh, I mean he really has. And their only loss to Washington, you can really make a case that uh, you know Dan Lanning, who I like, may have outsmarted himself with analytics and and going for it uh, deep in his own. Uh, side of the field late in the game and then passing up some, you know, a field goal and, and chasing points at the end of the half in the first half of that game with Wazoo. I mean, with Washington. Washington's really good. Uh, I've got them ranked ahead of Oregon. I think everybody does because they played them and beat them. Sort of similar to the Texas-Alabama story right now. Um, you know, if you want to make a case that Alabama's playing at a higher level than Texas, I'm willing to listen to that. But head-to-head, Texas went in and beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa. So it's a similar situation in the Pac-12 with, with Washington and Oregon. And, you know, they're headed right now, those two, for a potential uh, rematch uh, in the Pac-12 title game. And we'll see what happens. But right now, I, I'm going to tell you, on a neutral field right now, fellas, if you had to say, okay, Tim, who would you take to win it all on a neutral field? I think I'd take Oregon. I think they're playing really well in their offensive front. They're blowing people off the line of scrimmage. Their defense has shown uh, some real signs that they are much more stout than they were at the beginning of the season. But uh, but Nix is just, I mean, when you got a guy back there that's played as many snaps as he's played, uh, you can just see a confidence and presence that he has that really – uh, there are a lot of great quarterbacks in the Pac-12 and a lot of great quarterbacks in college football this year, but I don't know that anyone is any better than Bo Nick right now. Tim, how, how do you think this Michigan sign-stealing scandal is going to play out? Just as I've said for the last couple of weeks, uh, Lars, um, nothing's going to happen here. It's going to be just like the Cam Newton story in 2010. A lot of... A lot of uh, whining and a lot of grappling and a lot of gnashing of teeth by opposing coaches. That was the case in 2010 when Mike Slive had to, uh, you know, very delicately and uh, very uh, appropriately, in my my belief, supported Auburn and made sure that he could find a few uh, loopholes within the NCAA rule book, and he did that. I think there was an eligibility situation for him for a 24-hour period before a game, and uh, then all of a sudden he was eligible again. And last I checked, that national championship uh, in 2010 still resides in Auburn. And I think that right now uh, Michigan is uh, is going to be eligible, and I think they will compete if they win out, you know, for the for the college football national championship. So this is this is um, this shouldn't surprise anybody. Okay. Uh, the NCAA has not sent a notice of allegations. You know, the Big Ten did. Well, the Big Ten means nothing in terms of allegations. Their allegations are about the potential of maybe uh, Harbaugh getting a suspension. For how long? Who knows? But uh, if there's not an NCAA notice of allegations, then that means the clock hasn't begun to tick for Michigan to respond to that those allegations. And that's a 90-day clock. So nothing here is going to happen. And people should just, you know, cease with with the, the gnashing of teeth. And 
and Lars, I, I've stated this. I've, I, I don't, I don't quibble at all with anonymous sources. We've all used anonymous sources. I, I've used them even in broadcast journalism. Okay, and I'm not in the business of uh, of writing stories that need to have clicks for them to be read. Like uh, the the writers today must, whether they're working for Yahoo or for the Athletic or for uh, Sports Illustrated. But the reality is, I know, and you know, and anybody that's in our business knows where these stories are coming from, where these leaks are. Okay, they're coming direct from the people and infractions of enforcement that are in the ears of these writers. So back-channeling information to make Michigan look bad is all the NCAA apparently has the power to do. Which to me tells you how unscrupulous, how corrupt, and how inept they are at uh, policing college football or college basketball or, or anything else. But, you know, they have a right, in my mind, to be the, uh, the curators of college basketball and the enforcement for college basketball. But even then, after six years of, of an FBI investigation, what happened to Kansas? Nothing. What happened to Auburn? Nothing. LSU lost the coach, but that was only because they had him on wiretap. Nothing really happened to them. Okay? So, in college football, the NCAA has no monetary impact whatsoever from the game. And all they do is legislate against human dignity and continue to try to undermine the very sport that is, is been ruling the roost and helping to propel all of those non-revenue producing sports to have the championships that the NCAA has. Commissioner uh, Sankey and Commissioner Petiti, Commissioner Yormark, and everybody else involved in college football should understand after all this mess that they need to take away all of the governance of college football's policing away from college football and be in charge of it themselves. If we haven't learned that by now, when the hell will we? Tell it like it is, Timmy. Hey, I know we just begged your time on uh, short notice. Can you hang through a break? We got about seventy-five yeah. other questions we'd like to ask, but yeah, you got it. That's right. You're a good guy. Thanks. Fox Sports. Tim Brando is continuing on Big Noon Sports. It's back to SEC Sports, like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. And our guest from Fox Sports is Tim Brando. Tim, I'll ask you a funny question and then follow it up with uh, your thoughts on Jalen Milrow. But Milrow had a quote um, this morning or yesterday or after the game that referred to him and changing his drip. And what did you say, Justin? It's to, to change your drip down? And what's the proper way? Yeah, if, if you're, if you're, you know, you're dripped down, you're, you're dripping, you're just cool. You're looking cool. I just wondered if you'd ever heard that phrase, Tim. Mm, Tim, do you have you know, your drip I, down? Let me check. Okay. No, I... I can honestly say I've never heard that one before, but I, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll call my daughters. They're, 
they're they're thirty three and forty one. Maybe yeah. one of them knows. That's what I I'll do. Have to ask. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and also when I need help with my cell phone and my computers. But anyway, all right. <laughs> putting that aside, yeah. talk about Jalen Milrow, Texas versus the guy we saw Saturday night at Tuscaloosa. Well, I think it comes down to Tommy Reese, Texas, versus the Tommy Reese we saw Saturday night. Uh, Jalen Milrow's got, uh, you know, an outstanding ability to to run and 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 to throw. He's, he's he's much better when he rolls out when he gets out of the pocket. And you know, I thought that Tommy Reese was trying to shoehorn uh, his own offensive style what he wanted to run his off he wanted to make Milrow the kind of quarterback that you know matched up with an offense that, that Tommy Reese was more comfortable running whatever was said or done in in the aftermath of that game to tailor the offensive team more to Milrow's liking and and to the benefit of his athletic ability that was the right decision and it's made uh, Milrow a, a, a better and more effective quarterback, and it certainly made Tommy Reese a better play caller. So, you know, good for both. I think it's, I think it's win-win in that regard. Look, Milrow will still uh, have certain passes that he does not execute particularly well. He'll miss some wide-open receivers, tend to airmail it on occasion. Some of that is adrenaline. Some of that is fundamental. But he's not a pocket passer. I mean, he's just not. And they have recognized that now. And I, I think he's been given an offensive uh, scheme to work with that is much more to his liking and much more in touch with his athletic ability. And, uh, again, I credit Tommy Reese for making the appropriate changes uh, in the aftermath of the Texas game. Texas kept him in a pocket. And the other thing, too, remember, Texas has to – a pretty good defensive line. They got a lot of studs up there. LSU does doesn't, and they were pushed around and dominated by by Alabama's offensive front in that game. Now that's an historically bad LSU defense that he lit up, and uh, I think we all knew that going in. Uh, the only way LSU was going to have a chance to win that game was to have their offense kicked in on all cylinders, and for their quarterback, Jaden Daniels, to be almost perfect, and, and neither of those things happened. Uh, for them to win, they needed to score 50, and you know they couldn't get off 28. They were stuck on 28. So that's, that's why the game went the way that it did, and, and Alabama uh, deserved that win. They thoroughly outplayed LSU uh, in the second half. It was uh, not as dominating a performance as say Florida State had against LSU in the second half earlier in the year, but it was certainly a dominating late third, and all of fourth quarter. Tim, uh, right now on November 7th, uh, on a neutral field, Georgia, Alabama, who are you taking? Georgia. Georgia's got more personnel, and they're deeper in every position. Uh, I do think that they're, you know, having Bowers back is, is essential for them to win it all. Now, you know, you don't have to win it all until – you know, a month from now or more than a month from now. So they need to get him back. You know, they may have uh, a difficult time coming up. But I think Alabama fans better pump the brakes a little bit on just how great they think they are right now. Because when I measure what I see in other places, 
versus what I see in the SEC, you know, I, I think, you know, beating LSU the way they did, playing as well as they have to this point, and dismantling the teams they played so far in the SEC, uh, you know, it's good. But, you know, I've seen better. And uh, I think Florida State is better. I think Oregon's better. I think Washington's better. I could go on and on about the teams that I think are better than Alabama right now. Uh, but, I mean, as for Georgia versus Alabama, uh, I mean, yeah, Alabama lately has looked better than Georgia. But that game between Georgia and Alabama is a month away or three weeks away. Uh, will Bowers be back? If he is, I think Georgia wins. And I don't think it's particularly close. Uh, Georgia is a physical football team, and they've got three of everything. And uh, three of everything is more than what Alabama has. Alabama's got two of everything, but not three of everything. So uh, I would take Georgia mano a mano against Alabama. I would. Hey, Tim, what game are you doing this week? I'm uh, Like I said, I've got Oregon yep. and USC. I get to see uh, Bo Nix and... Uh, against the USC team that's got a lot going on. They fired their defensive coordinator, and uh, I think a lot of people thought that was, was only a matter of time before Alex Prince got the, the heave home. We'll see if, it, if they improve any with him gone. And uh, the Caleb Williams watch, what's going to happen with him? How long before you know he decides to call it a day and get ready for the combine? Uh, we shall see. That's my game. It's a late-night delight. We'll be on at 9.30 Central Time. Saturday night on Big Fox. And that's one of the many reasons I'll be watching. So you're not doing double duty this week? No. Not this week, no. <laughs> Which enabled you to shoot an 85 today. Yeah, <laughs> enabled me to get a couple of parties today. That's right. <laughs> All right, keep your drip down. Thank you, Timmy. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Tim. Yeah, I'm going to check my drip right now. I'm going to check my drip. <laughs> Uh, thanks, Tim Brandon from Fox Sports. Oh, uh, when we get back, there's a joke to be made there, but I'm not uh, going to several, do it. Uh, and that's why I just need to go ahead and go to break. <laughs> Football. Fine. Tuscaloosa weather. A warm afternoon, mostly sunny, the high 81. Fair tonight, below 55. Tomorrow, partly to mostly sunny, the high also 81. Thursday, increasingly cloudy, a chance of showers Thursday night, the high Thursday, 79. I'm James Spann of the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 80 degrees in Tuscaloosa. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports.
Uh, okay, I don't, I've, I've never heard that song. What was the name of it? Shake It Off by Taylor Swift. I think it's maybe her biggest song. Is it really? Yeah, maybe not her best like vocal performance. I think she needs to write a song called Brando's Got His Trip Down. Okay. Featuring Travis Kelsey. By the way, we were talking about Taylor between breaks, and uh, she is 5'11". Lars, she could post us up. Yeah, and um, you know, I'm reading a uh, story about her in the Harvard Gazette, and they pondered the question that you and I have discussed. What exactly makes Taylor Swift so great? Um, I think she's a tremendous writer. She has a great voice. Yep. But I wouldn't, I mean. She has a really good ear in terms of how yeah. words fit together. And obviously she's wonderful in concert. I mean, people are running through brick walls to get a ticket. But and I'll be very she, honest with you. What I just heard there, that'd be enough for my life. <laughs> I would be, that give exact, me I, I, would, I wouldn't necessarily have chosen that song, Justin, not not to put anything on you, but uh, in terms of, you know, uh, something that okay. illustrates her talent. Which one are we going talent. for? Which one? Uh, I'll have to think about that. But All right, on the way back, I'll give her one more chance. You can select another song you think I'd like. Okay. But um, I think actually that's but I think, take, oh, but I think she, well, she, sorry. No, well, well you were going to say something about the Harvard. Well, she also tells stories in songs, mm-hmm. and you don't get that anymore. You used to, that, that was you used to get, all about. You used to get that all the time. Like I am just obsessed with the song "Release" by Pearl Jam. Obsessed. I can't get enough of it. And I, it took me a long time to understand this, but it, uh, it is a story of Eddie Vedder talking about he wants the pain of not knowing his father to be, quote, released. And he's saying, release me from this pain. And it was only later in his life did Eddie Vedder uh, um, uh, learn that his dad was a musician. And so, uh, wow. and, 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 and he grew up believing that, uh, the man who raised him was his biological father, wasn't his biological father. And so now when you listen to that song, it has a completely new, or at least for me, completely new, uh, context, understanding and power. And then when you hear him sing it live or you go on YouTube and and watch release, especially there's a version when he's at Wrigley Field and uh, there is a uh, a guy in the uh, on the front row. Um, uh, gosh, I can't remember his name, but it's pretty clear that he had just lost his dad and Eddie points him out and says, hey, everybody come with me. And we're going to release this young man from the pain of losing his dad. And it is like this uh, cathartic, massive, powerful moment of Eddie singing directly to this one guy in the front row at Wrigley Field. That's pretty cool. I never had heard that before. Release. Actually, let's play that one going out. All right. I got a couple of stories. We're just going to kind of put the icing on the cake here for this Tuesday show. 
I thought it was very interesting a couple of months ago, and actually it was longer than that, that Blake Martinez, the linebacker, who had a very successful career in the NFL, he suddenly decided to Nebraska. Yeah, that's right. He's a Cornhusker, but he's also a Pokemon. You know, he gave up football so he could barter, trade, and buy, trade and sell Pokemon cards. And one of the reasons why a couple of his purchases had gone from like $150,000 and they were worth $750,000. Obviously, he was making a really good living. Well, it appears that that has fallen through. He has signed a practice squad contract with Carolina. And then a footnote to that is his website about the trading of Pokemon cards has been taken down. And there are some that say it was scamming. So wouldn't you like to, if if something went wrong, wouldn't you like to have a two or three million dollar a year contract to fall back on? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, You know, we were talking about this earlier, Matt. I really don't understand Pokemon and my girls who are, uh, you know, fair and autumn, they're six. They like them just because they like the colors, just like your grand. Yeah. Yeah. Just like your grandchildren. But they, they really don't understand the, the trading significance or any of that. Nor do I. I didn't either at that age. Otherwise I wouldn't have put all my Pete Rose baseball cards in the spokes of my bicycle. No telling how many thousands of dollars I just chewed up on Lynn Circle in Huntsville. That's pretty funny. Uh, not, not really. <laughs> but then my really good valued collection, which was I, I did research on it, was it was worth a lot of money. Somehow it disappeared during a you know what. It starts with a D and it ends with an E. Yeah. Funny how that stuff happens. Um. All right, so I was uh, looking here at, um, uh, gosh, just lost it. Here we go. All right, so at the halfway point of the NFL regular season, Matt, here are the teams that have the top 10 draft picks as of now. And, okay. you know, I love the draft. Like it's, it's really one of my favorite events of the year, and I, I think about it way too much. But the question I have is, of these 10 teams, how many of them would uh, pick a quarterback, either Caleb Williams or Drake May, number one? Okay. And I think, uh, and here we go. Here's here's release by Pearl Jam. It's going to be playing in the background. Such a beautiful song. All right. Right now, the Cardinals have the top pick. All right, they're one and eight. Do you get rid of Kyler Murray and you take Caleb Williams or Drake May? Yeah. Yep. The Bears have the second and third overall picks. You take one of those on a quarterback. Um, you, do you like what you see in field? No. You don't? No. Well, that's a lot of money. The Bears. You better give me a couple well, I think more because we're about to run out. The Bears. Uh, excuse me. The Giants. Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones has ripped up his ACL. Yeah. He may yeah. be gone all uh, next got, year. You got Invest in what you think is a franchise quarterback. Patriots to get rid of Mac Jones? Uh, Personally, I like him in red, white, and blue. I like him in New England, but I think there's probably a better spot for him. So maybe the Patriots are going to do that because 
They're not winning with him. Hey, we got to go, Lars. Everybody stay safe. Back Listen in. to this song, Release. All five seconds. Right?